Welcome to TechTastic, the podcast that explores the cutting-edge world of technology and its impact on society. Join us on this journey of discovery and exploration as we navigate the fascinating and ever-evolving world of technology. This is TechTastic. In this episode of TechTastic, Ben Peterson and I discuss the portrayal of AI in Hollywood. If you're curious who Ben is, he used to be the co-host of the podcast from 2008 with me, uh, Success You. And let me apologize up front for the audio quality of the dialogue between the two of us. It's a recording from a video conference. With that, let's jump right in. Hey Ben, I've come up with a long list of movies that involve AI and I noticed a trend through the vast majority of them is that if they were a big blockbuster, big budget movie, They've portrayed AI in a in a very negative sense. There is all, but there is also a group of blockbuster, big budget movies that uh, is the exact opposite. It's a more positive portrayal of AI. And a couple of those examples would be like Wall-E, uh, The Iron Giant, uh, arguably the Transformers franchise. Even though you've got you know both the Autobots and the Decepticons, which kind of portrayed both, but the Autobots are definitely portrayed as a hero uh, AI robot. Bicentennial Man. Hard, it was pretty big budget. I don't know if they made a lot of money. And then Big Hero 6. But last but not least is Short Circuit. Short Circuit's kind of the one that stands out because Johnny Five, you know, I was exactly the right age. This Defense Department robot becomes self-aware and then bonds with the humans around it. I love that movie and it actually shaped so much of my wanting to be a technologist to start with. The thing that I was noticing, and maybe this is what drives the fear that, that seems to be happening around AI, is for the most part, our big cinematic universe has portrayed most technologies and in particular AI in a very like world ending view, or at least in a very negative view. And that's because it sells tickets. But I think this is driving what's most of the fear behind AI today. Well, and, and humans have a tendency to go straight to the negative anyway. And so Hollywood knows how to play the heartstrings or, or whatever, you know, the consciousness of, of humanity very well. And like you said, I mean, they want to sell tickets, obviously. It's amazing to me how many movies that we could discuss here. I mean, 2001, A Space Odyssey, you've got Hal. He's initially presented as a helpful and obedient AI, but he later turns against the human crew members. It effectively explores themes of obedience, free will, and the dangers of creating AI that is too intelligent. That came out in 1968. I think anybody who's even remotely into sci-fi, and I would guess that most technologists are at least somewhat into AI, will know the movie 2001. But you can jump around. I mean, there was movies before that. Actually, you and I had a conversation yesterday about this, and you listed a couple of movies that there was one in particular that was like back to the very beginning of cinema. Yeah, Metropolis, uh, 1927, I believe the date was. Like, I don't know that sci-fi existed as a film genre. I mean, how could it? It was probably the first sci-fi movie and start and shaped a lot of what would come later. There were so many topics explored in it. Yeah, and again, it, it had that dark, ominous feeling, you know, that prevailed in Hollywood. It, it, we, we, I think part of the conversation we had yesterday too was the whole uh, nature-nurture uh, aspect of it. I mean, it's, it's the Hollywood that shapes humanity's thought process when it comes to things, or is it the thought process that shapes Hollywood? I mean, I guess it's a more of a chicken-egg theory, right? <laughs> I always love the chicken egg thing because it, that's really, for me, that's always the, do you believe in creationism or do you believe in evolution, right? 
Because if the chicken came first, it was created as a chicken. But if the egg came first and the egg was laid by something that wasn't quite chicken, is cinema driving perceptions of humanity? Absolutely. But it's also responding to something nascent there. It exists in some form or there wouldn't be that drive from Hollywood to portray it. It's not that they're getting it from nowhere. It exists and they're pulling it up and examining it. The big question has always been, you know, what is the meaning of life, right? The whole AI genre really I mean, speaks to that base human need to, to figure out why are we here. AI really ties into that, especially because of the artificial part. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, there is this whole creation aspect to it. I mean, what? where did the AI come from, from us? You touched on something really interesting there, and that, like, why are we here, is also asking a similar question, like, what makes us us? For the first time in my life, and maybe this comes up every generation, or maybe it's always been there, but the fundamental things that we believed of what made us us are now absolutely a question. The creative ability of generating imagery, like, the, you know, the, the generative AI that's in, in ways that look like dreaming. It's, it's imaginative in ways that we thought were wholly human. It's interacting with us in ways that feel more human than even conversations I have with people. They feel, I don't know, like more personal and attentive than I might get from a human interaction. And, and so it's starting to really make us question what makes us us. That whole thing actually ties in with the, the list of movies that, you know, if you, if you do a Google search on, on top AI movies, I think that you're always going to find her on there on that list all of a sudden that personality comes forth that's the movie that i think of you know all that the personality is developing and yeah it, it really does tie into that question why why are we here how did we get here why are we thinking this way and i think that the interaction with ai is really part of that search for humanity as well it's, it's interesting you mentioned her there, there's a whole group of movies i put together is very similar in what they're trying and what they're doing I don't know if everybody's seen it. It didn't have a big box office success, so it, it must not have gotten viewed all that often, but it came out in 2013. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson are in it. And it's about an AI operating system named Samantha that forms a romantic relationship with a lonely writer. Uh, there's a bunch of movies that put the question of like, you blur the line of whether or not you even know their AI. Now, in the case of her, it's very clearly AI. Romantic relationship thing has actually been coming up in the news with some of the AI tools that are out there. But that blurring the line between human and, and that artificial form of it comes up over and over again. I mean, Blade Runner, which came out in 82, and uh, definitely Westworld, which the original movie was in 73, but there's a recent series on one of the streaming platforms that's just uh, like re-examining that same thing. There's a lot of these where we don't really know they're not human or we're, we, we question it about other characters in it. Like in Blade Runner, the Harrison Ford character, you're left at the end asking the question whether or not he was actually artificial or right. human, right? Right. Go we're blurring the line anyway, I mean, in day to day. Just the conversations, you used to be able to have like arguments and conversations and you had to kind of prove the premise from memory, but I mean, these days, I mean, you just go name one of the, the, the many services that I have actually sitting around me right now and will respond <laughs> when I say the names and, and you can ask questions. So, I mean, really our intelligence has become augmented to the point where it's almost artificial because of the fact that we can do that. So, I mean, there, 
when you said blurring the lines, that's immediately where my mind leapt to because it's the lines have become so blurred. I mean, we all carry around these incredible devices in our pockets that not artificial intelligence, but certainly augments our intelligence to the point where it's hard sometimes to see where the line is drawn. Again, you bring up interesting points. So one of the things that I was in a conversation about with somebody else earlier this morning was, does this represent a fundamental replacement of our place in um, the world? It, it, does this new technology replace us? And I, and I responded with, in no more than, the, than when we first sharpened sticks to you know, replace the fact that we don't have claws. Does this replace our place in the environment? It is just a tool that allows us to be more than we are physically capable of. And one of the things that AI is extraordinarily good at that we are not good at is evaluate, like holding a bunch of different variables in our mind and evaluating the interactions between them. We're really good at singular focus and paying attention to one thing, but the world never comes down to one thing. It's always the interaction uh, and the complexity of that interaction of many things. And so if you just try to apply the scientific method to something, you can almost always find some flaw in an experimental observation because they didn't eliminate all the variables because it's there's too many things to eliminate. You can compare those multiple variables and interactions over time against many others. And so this is just another tool that does something that we're not good at. It's a tool that, I mean, I guess that's the human advantage, right? Is that our ability to use tools and it does definitely make us better. I don't know if it was Einstein that said it, but I think the quote has been attributed to him. Uh, he would never memorize anything he could look up. If that's the case, I mean, we have a, a serious advantage over Einstein in, in our lifetime in that we have access to all the info literally in our hands. Like everything that humans have ever done, we could potentially find and, and uh, learn about without having to memorize it all. Yeah, absolutely. And, and better yet, we have a tool that in the moment, we don't even have to learn it. In the moment, when the information is relevant, we can ask it to go find it. Prime example is like my notes for this episode. It's not like I spent hours and hours and hours cruising around on the internet and, and looking everything up. I simply asked an AI tool, hey, go compile the list of AI movies that talk about these topics. What were their top stars? What's the premise of the show? And what were the worldwide box office revenue? Boom, notes. Got my notes, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's funny that that was the reference that you used was, I didn't spend hours looking around the internet. I mean, literally doing a search on, on AI movies on the internet is, is such an advantage over, for instance, if we go back to the Einstein metaphor there, that's already such an advantage. Now, just being able to, you don't even have to type it in anymore, right? I mean, you can just <laughs> ask and you get a compiled list. Yeah, in a way that I can look at quickly during the show and, and quote from and make it sound like I'm much smarter than I am. Exactly. <laughs> but the, that's the interesting part to me about most of these portrayals in Hollywood. And it is because uh, drama sells and having that, it's like writing a headline for a, a blog post or something like that. Like the more angst ridden or the more like confrontational it is, the more likely it is to get clicked on. And the same thing's true of Hollywood. Like the more drama is involved, the more likely it is to sell. And so a lot of these things put these dynamics into like just right in front of your face. Like the reference of her with an AI operating system that he forms a romantic relationship with, 
is really can you love the technology is there actually a is it romantically relevant which is really asking a different for me it's asking a different question it's asking what's the difference between the ai and ourselves again what makes us human and why this not fall into that category why is uh, samantha in that case not human why, why is the, the relationship wrong because of it almost always go into that but the weird one for me when you talk about it, when you think about it that way then is blade runner because right. In that particular case, you're actually rooting for Harrison Ford to uh, run off with who he knows is an artificial. Uh, it, it, it's it really Rachel, I believe, right? Oh, Rachel, you're right, it's Rachel. Thank you. Yeah, the Pris is the one I always remember, but of course she she's... Daryl Hannah, yeah. She's the, the murderer uh, sex toy robot. <laughs> the murderer is a guy. <laughs> well, because she was a sex toy that like was abused and like right. the other side of the murderer, which, you know, that comes up in Westworld too. Once they realize what they are, they rise up against them because they're being, you know, repeatedly tortured in so many different ways. So if you think about the Westworld premise, where you've got these artificial, you know, robots that look so human that they're hard to distinguish and they show all the outward manifestation of being human. They have emotions, they have human-like reactions. And then their memories are wiped effectively at the end of each one, each session so that they don't hold any resentment or grudge and they can play their part. It's asking the same question though, and it does it in such an uncomfortable way by demonstrating all the violence, almost asking us a different question. Like when we don't see something as human, why are we so willing to treat it as not having any real value? You can torture it and kill it. That is such a part of us that we, we tend to dehumanize things in order to to be able to be evil towards them. That's a whole other topic that we, we may want to spend a, a, a separate episode on because that can, that can certainly lead us down a rapid hole. To... For the, the amount of portrayals in a negative light, I think that a lot of these movies, at least the really thoughtful ones, have done a good job of evaluating that fundamental question, what makes us human? And in some cases, they're asking kind of the, the same question in a slightly different light, what makes everything else less worthwhile or less valuable because it's not. Why can we put something into the box of AI and say, well, it's not human, therefore it doesn't have rights, it doesn't have, etc. And Westworld is one of the most like stark versions of that. A AI, um, the Steven Spielberg movie, Sun Replacement, was programmed specifically as an AI to love, and yet the Sun as well got categorized into the the AI or the scary. Wow. Or, I'm trying to remember the, the the whole premise of the movie, but I I think that that was their their son, their real son was put into a coma because he was very ill, and so they were presented with a robot oh. with an AI and and. The robot was specifically programmed to love and yet was ostracized because of the robotic or AI aspect of this. Which is, wow. I had forgotten about that movie, but that was a real, I, now that you bring it up, but I was actually very powerful in that sense. Like, yeah. for whatever reason, this reminds me of pets. I love like my animal. We've got horses and dogs, right? Right. And one of the things that makes dogs to me so, well, and horses too, like most of the animals to some degree um, all demonstrate this. If they're mammals, they can love, they, yes. right? And dogs do it unconditionally. Even a owner who abuses their dog, that dog will still go back to them and want love and affection. For whatever reason, we don't value that. But for me, I do more. Like I, I, 
I look at when my dog walks into the room and he wants to play, I don't think about, oh man, I've got work to do. I've got all these things to do and you're interrupting my life. I recognize that first of all, their life is much shorter. And so every minute's a little bit more meaningful, but also that they love so much. All they really want is a little bit of your attention. And it makes me more compassionate to have that interaction because I'm thinking about that. And some of these movies actually get into that too. I think that uh, Sun is one of those movies that does exactly that. It's not, it's not asking the what makes us human, what makes us not. It does go back to that, like, why is this less? It's demonstrating these things that we think of as really important human, the ability to love. It's a very important human trait. It's doing that. Why isn't that enough? Yeah, and it's, it's scary because, I mean, a lot of these AI movies really, if you think about it, they're a bit of a mirror. It really talks to us. I mean, it, is it the AI that's causing the fear or is it us that's projecting our fear upon the AI? Again, you know, a little uh, chicken eggy there, but. Yeah, no, but the mirror was a really good one. So there, there's, uh, as far as a metaphor to consider this, isn't that what all media trying to do in some form and, you know, the silver screen cinema has been trying to do that from the very beginning is to hold a mirror up to ourselves and force us to ask tough questions of ourselves. I really hadn't thought about it in, in that aspect before and it's, it's kind of blowing my mind a lot when you start thinking about it and, go, and going back to that original question, why are we here, right? There is that aspect of, you know, well, if God created us, how does he look at us? Is that that same mirror piece as well? Yeah, um, so there, there's a, a book recently out called Fail that starts to talk about some of these things and, and it starts with the premise of an AI but it goes from there in which humans develop the ability to live forever in a virtual world. We upload our minds into it and it does bring up a very similar question because the the living world that still exists can view but not interact with you know the afterlife that is this virtual thing. They can see what's going on to a degree, not great fidelity, but enough, but they can't have any interaction with it. They're looking at it, effectively gods that created this universe. They allowed us to be created into it, but they can't really impact it. And at some point there is that threshold being crossed briefly. Mm. And it's, it's a fascinating way of thinking about existence and our place in it and that question of what's important and what's not. I'm, I'm not a spiritual believer. I don't believe that there's anything that created us in that sense, not in the sense of like a Christian God or something like that, but I'm not against the idea of us existing in one, you know, one part of reality and that there might be many, many others. That, that question of like, what makes us us is such a human, question to ask. Like my dog's never going to look at another dog and go, hey, what makes us dogs and what makes us separate from others? And you know that they wouldn't because they, they act with humans as if we're just one of them too. Right. You know, maybe a little bit different way that they interact because they don't, you know, they don't greet the same way, for example. They definitely know that we're different, but they don't care. And that just gives me back to the like, why do we care so much? I think that there's an evolutionary thing that happened with humans where we we were so fragile for so long and we had that the need of the tribe as like a pack and we rapidly also developed the major threat against ourselves after we had developed some form of tools and the form of spears and fire and all that that the biggest threat to us was other us but not exactly us a different tribe and so we developed the ability to distinguish between us and them at every possible level. 
And so some of these movies are, are really asking that question of like, well, if we've created something that is so us that you can't tell, why are we still separating it? And in other ways, they're asking the, the inverse question of, but why does that even matter? Why does it have to be us to be important? I think that that is, once again, the question that comes up is because when when you use the metaphor of the dog and, and the, you're the alpha dog to your dog and, and the love is unconditional, I, human love is never unconditional, right? I mean, there's always right. this ulterior thinking process that's, that goes into our relationships. It's like, I love this person, but they could hurt me. And so I'm gonna build a wall around that. I can't, I can't go all in and have the unconditional love because I don't trust that there isn't a, a, another motive on their side. The reality is that you also have another motive at that point, right? Indeed. And so we attribute that same thing to to artificial intelligence, to, to everything. Wow. Uh, now that particular angle I hadn't thought through at all and I, and I love it as a thought because maybe that it's that multi-tribal thing that I mentioned before where we've had to like be able to separate from other and knowing that that other has the potential of even within our own tribe to your point we we have hierarchy right we have the alpha dog and we have the beta dog in that we also have to protect ourselves to some degree. We've developed all these tools of self-preservation and protection over you know, many millennia, if not millions of years, is what's really what, what we're doing in this exercise as we ask the questions about AI and keep that, that wall of separation between us is a self-protection mechanism of it, I can be hurt by it even though we don't even know we're doing it. That's a really interesting thought. Yeah, it's 100%. I mean, it's such a, a strong driver in, in humanity. I mean, you can be, you can walk into a bar, have a conversation with somebody, and you know, you can go down the, the list of topics and find that you have so much in common with this person, and you're you're developing a, a friendship almost instantaneously. And then somebody mentions that they like the Cowboys, and you are a Bears fan, and all of a sudden the whole thing can turn. Um, yeah, I've talked about it as being multi we're multi-tribal, like we have layers of tribalism, and the further you are away from the center of your tribe, so the good example is going to Europe as an American. If you go to Europe as an American and you're surrounded by other people that, like, I look Northern European, right? Right. If I'm in Northern Europe, people interacting with me without hearing me talk just assume I'm one of them and there's no problem. But the instant they know I'm an American, there is that wall of separation. But if yes. I take a bunch of Northern Europeans and go somewhere else, like Asia, for example, you know, we all look similar enough that together we are indistinguishable from each other to everybody else that we're around. They will put us all in that bucket and we will feel as if we're that one tribe. And the further you get away from that central tribe that you are, the more generous you are in considering others as part of you. And I think that's a safety mechanism too. I hadn't really thought of it as a safety mechanism till now, but it's that preservation piece. I need enough of a tribe to feel safe. But as you get into more and more of your central tribe, you have to shed a lot of it. And that might go to the, our ability to hold multiple, I actually think it's a lot to do with our ability to hold multiple different variables in our mind. We can only really consider the the motives and the possible actions of you know maybe 
10 individuals. And so when we're in a group of thousands of us, we're gonna go and look for the thing that allows us to just be eight to 10 people that align and everybody else becomes ex external to that. Wow, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the the whole analysis of, of AI in Hollywood has brought up like so many different subjects. <laughs> Insane. Welcome to Techtastic. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm going to have to take a nap after this. <laughs> Most of these topics that I, I want to talk about, I think that's the purpose of it. And I think that any technology is going to cause us to evaluate certain aspects of our ourselves. That's just the nature of being human. But the cinema one in particular, because it was meant to be a mirror, is like one of those ones that just opens every possible door. And maybe it was too generous of a topic. Maybe we were, uh, <laughs> maybe we should have focused in on like one film and said, we're going to evaluate the Terminator fr franchise and we're going to look at how AI is portrayed and what it really means for to be human in that aspect. But I don't like conversations like that. I like to talk about the broad, expansive topics. <laughs> no, I, I agree. It, it probably would have been simpler just to, I mean, because you could take any one of these movies and, and, and say, you know, how does this apply to the, the question at hand? But I mean, again, what, as humans, we project so much onto every aspect of our lives. You know, AI is no different. I mean, so much of, of what our thoughts are on AI is really us projecting our nature onto to AI. And, and these movies are very interesting from the standpoint of that's one person's or one group of people's analysis of what AI is and what it's going to do to us and how it's going to affect us. But we have our own analysis of that as well. And so, yes, Hollywood shapes us, but at the same time, we have our own experiences too to rely on. I couldn't agree more. I, we, when we were talking before, we were talking about uh, that, that first question that you asked on whether or not it's the, the cinema that's shaping our view of uh, society or is cinema playing back what society is and that we believe it's somewhere in, you know, it's some combination of both. But one of the things that we talked about was also like the Star Trek franchise of, you know, TV and uh, movies, you know, very long franchise. Um, there are definitely technologists that created technology specifically from watching that show. Like the iPhone does not exist without the tricorder from Star Trek. It was the do-it-all gadget um, get out of jail free card for the writers of that show, but their portrayal of it started causing people to consider how will we do that? Is that possible? I mean, that's even happening with teleportation, which is starting to become a real thing, not in the form of being able to beam down to a planet yet, a human being. People started asking the question, what would it take to do that? And so it's not just a mirror, it's also often a challenge in what's possible an imaginable exploration of what potential we have and what could be accomplished. Yeah, we owe a ton to science fiction and, and the writers behind it because, I mean, it, it really has, in a lot of ways, shaped our world. And what a great place to end this Techtastic episode. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to be on the show or you know somebody that I think should be on the show, or if you'd just like to get a hold of me to talk about maybe a topic that we've had in the show or any other subject, my email address is hammer, just like the tool, at techtastic.tech. Thank you and see you next time.